it's not like they've had two set pieces and scored two goals. They've, they've had about 30 set pieces and, uh, you know, it's stuff you just got to deal with. And like I said, it seems like at the moment any sort of contact in the box, uh, <coughs> you know, referees are reluctant to, to call. Um, and then it comes down to, you know, VAR intervention, which I don't like anyway. So, you know, we just got to deal with what's, uh, what's there in front of us and uh, move on. The reason that I'm here is because you know, the club is seeking change. He said, well, whether you come or not, you're going to see a completely different first team under me. You know, my hope and my desire and what I'm going to try and do is give our supporters hope and, and belief that we're, um, you know, we're going to embark on something special. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at Aestetka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. This is episode 164. We've got a couple of disappointing results for both the men's and women's team to discuss, but we're going to talk transfers as well because plenty news on that front as January is gone. It is in the books. We are on to February. February 4th, we are recording this on Sunday. Uh, we'll start by throwing out to Scott. He is at Scott G. Bird. Scott, what's going on with you, my friend? Chilling. Still buzzing from the South Africa result yesterday. What a what a ride that was. Um, less buzzing, you could say, about the Tottenham results, but we'll get into that. We will indeed. Uh, and playing hurt today, battling through a little bit of illness, is Caroline. She is at CG Stefko. Kaz, thank you for uh, showing up to the start and, and getting yourself into the starting 11, despite uh, a knock. Yeah, as you would say, I'm having my flu game, but um, yeah, happy to be back on the pod and less happy about, you know, blowing some wins at the last minute for both teams, but we'll get into it. We will. We will indeed. Um, let's let's not start off on this podcast on the disappointing notes of two draws. Let's talk about the transfer window because we did a pod on Wednesday and uh, it was before the window had technically closed. And we kind of thought eh, Tottenham have done their business, nothing else coming in. But um, as it turns out, the club made a little bit of a signing. Uh, they signed Swedish international Lucas Bergvall, uh, ended up making the signing official on his 18th birthday. Um, and Bergvall apparently turned down Barcelona to sign with Spurs. He's going to join in the summer. It's about an eight and a half million pound deal. Um, he is the third incoming on the window to go along with Timo Werner and Radu Dragashin. Um, plenty of outgoings to discuss as well, but Scott, I know like nobody has a full scouting report on Lucas Bergvall, but this was the kind of move that I feel like the club has done in the past where it's not an immediate move, but one for the future. And it's one that unlike when these moves have been done in the past, the manager says, well, that's the club signing. Uh, and Ange Postacoglu has fully backed this signing and is really excited about it. He's a midfielder can play uh, mostly as a six or an eight um, young kid uh, uh, has been described as, as the next wunderkind. Um, how excited did this signing make you, especially in, in the sense that it was kind of a surprise? I don't know what you mean about not knowing anything. I've been screaming for this kid for three years at least and <laughs> haven't missed the match. And, you know, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great player. <laughs> no, of course I've, I've heard nothing of this, of this player prior to us bringing him in. Right. But um I'm I'm stoked and I'm really stoked 
because of, uh, you know, because of the picture it paints for the way that the club is starting to conduct its business. Um, if you look at our ranks, the, the youth ranks were stacked, absolutely stacked. We're going out and getting guys like Alejo Valise, who's via ones on loan. We're, we're bringing in Bergball, who Barcelona was desperate to sign. Um, uh, young talent all over the board, right? We're, we've got Popsar in, in the team. We've got Adogi in the team. And if I'm one of these guys like like a Mikey Moore, like an Alfie Devine, like a Dorrington, um, I see these guys getting minutes and say, why not me, right? There, there's no mental block to the first team. And I think that's, you know, what makes me so excited about what we're doing and about Bergvall specifically. He, His comps are just absolutely fucking fire, totally dope, whatever you want to say, all these the youth euphemisms we can use, right? He, his comps are great. Um, they're just comps, right? But statistically, looks like a real player. And, um, you know, you mentioned and wants him, which is important. But I, I think for me, the, the the coolest thing that I've seen is just the way he conducts himself in these short, short snippets that we've seen come out from the social media team. Um, I really like the conversation that he and Ange had during his during his physical um, where, where he's I don't know if you either of you have even seen it. Right. But where, where he's laying on the table in the middle of his physical and Ange comes and introduces himself and, you know, they both wish, with each, wish each other luck for the rest of the season. And then as Ange walks away, Bergvall says, you go get those three points tomorrow. Um, and Ange says, no pressure. We didn't fucking get the three points the next day, says the narrator. But I, uh, I appreciate Bergvall's, you know, attitude in that moment. And he seems to, he seems to carry himself at a much uh, more mature age than, than 18, which he is right as, as of the day we signed him. So Caroline, let's double click on, on, on that point that Scott makes there. It feels like the incoming strategy when you look at it from a grand scheme of things has been bring in a few veteran players who can supplement, but the youth movement is fully on at Spurs now. And like, that's really cool. N not only between players like Bergval and Dragashin, but like, you mix in a Timo Werner and like just when you look at those three incomings for this window, I feel like it's a nice balance and nice mix to go with some of the veterans like Sonny and Richarlison that are already in the team. And then, as he said, the youthful players that have been brought in over the last couple of windows, it like it feels nice to have a, a, a strategy with squad building at Spurs like holy crap. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we have a clear strategy in the first place, I think, is the most reassuring thing. And, you know, I think as fans, we're going to have to be a little bit patient and understanding as, you know, this project kind of moves along. Because, you know, as we saw in the past couple of games, these younger players will make mistakes at times. And we're going to have to, you know, accept that that's part of the growing process. But it does bode well for the future that we're going to have all of these incredibly promising young talents kind of reaching their peak at the same time. Um, and I was thinking about this, too. You know, we're talking about beating out teams like Barcelona to signings. And this is a huge change from how we were feeling towards the end of last season when, you know, even just like recruiting a manager felt like an impossible task because it was like, you know, who's going to want to come into this mess that the Mourinho and Conte have kind of, you know, spiraled us into. But I think you can really see not just with Angela's appointment, but also just the recruitment that we've done already this season. There really is a clear plan and we are becoming a more attractive prospect to players, even though, you know, obviously it still remains to be seen 
you know, if we're going to qualify for Europe next season, like what competition that might be. But I do think players can see that they're coming into an environment where young players actually are going to develop and get better and also have actual, you know, chances for game time. Kind of like Scott was saying, like there are opportunities to break into the team where there weren't before. So um, as far as Lucas himself goes, you know, it, it was pretty obvious from his uh, signing video that this is a kid with a lot of confidence and, um, you know, that's always exciting to see as a fan, somebody who is like raring to go. I mean, not immediately because he's not going to be with the team until the summer. But yeah, someone who obviously is really excited to get started and um, sounds like he's fully coised already. So good to see. But we've seen this model work already, too, with the likes of Adogi and Sar, and, you know, signing a player, letting him stick at his club, see out the season and then come in in the summer and get a full, you know, training camp uh, under the belt. Uh, it's also it's funny you bring up like comparing us to Barcelona. I just feel like players would like to be paid, you know, and have a guaranteed, you know, money coming their way when they're when they're playing professional football. So that is one thing we have over Barcelona is like the ability to pay actual money to players to play. Um, that's always a nice added bonus. So um, incomings wise, that's that's where it is. It's three players. And I, I kind of. I think that's a really good January window. Let's talk about outgoings, though. Scott alluded to it. Alejo Valiz goes on loan to Sevilla, which I think is a nice move for him because not only does he get to learn the dark arts from Eric Lamella and then come back and just be a fully formed, you know, Tottenham specimen. He's 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 learned a little bit under Romero now, and he's going to go get his 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 uh, I guess uh, advanced class from Lamella. Um, but he's recovering from that injury that he suffered a little bit earlier in the season. He's almost back from that. So he goes on loan. Um, a lot of other names on this list of outgoings that I don't even think I realized until I looked at the full list of January outgoings. There were 10 players that departed the Spurs men's team this year or this, this month rather, uh, in January. And that's a, that's a lengthy, it's a lengthy list. Um, let me just run it down. We talked about Valise, Jaffa Tangango on loan to Millwall, Sergio Reguilon on, on loan to Brentford. Alfie Devine on loan to Plymouth Argyle, as well as Ashley Phillips to Plymouth Argyle on loan. Jed Spence to Genoa on loan. Um, Matthew Craig on loan to Doncaster Rovers. And then the three outgoings that are gone, gone. Yvonne Perisic, uh, Eric Dyer, and Hugo Lloris. Scotty, that's a lot of business for, for a January. You know, when you're talking about 10 outgoings and some of those players we know we won't see again, which I think nobody's shedding a tear. I think it was all expected moves, but in terms of the lone players that I think we might see back, I think these are all good moves for them as well to try and get some experience. And it's, it's, it's a tough climate, right? Climate right now with trying to ensure that your lone players will go out and get experience and get game time. But I feel like Spurs have done about as well as they can with some of these moves. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely something we've been wanting to do since Ange got here was continue to clear the guys that aren't going to be much of a factor under him. I, I do think, I think that if the, the European footballing financial climate, you could say I made that up. Right. But if that, if that was a thing and we took a look at it, I think that some of these guys are probably permanent transfers. If, if there's teams that actually have money to spend. I mean, if you look at Syria, we did more business than the entire league did down there in Italy. I can't say the same about, Spain, I'm not quite sure. Caroline might know the the, the German uh, uh, what the German window looked like, but 
very few teams can 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 afford to bring players in right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tanganga and Regulon are both permanent transfers in another world, right? Um, but I th- I think uh, regardless of of what the intention of the loan was, it's just really nice to see some breathing room in, in uh, at Hotspur Way, right at N17, and um, it just clears the way for for the for the future to continue to take shape. I think you know in, in the in the transfer world we live in, we're so hyper focused on on who's coming into the club, right? But the outgoing piece is so important, and it's very very challenging to move players on. Um, unless you're willing to just take absorbent losses for them, right? Like a city is or something like that, but it's tough to do. And I think we did a really good job of continuing to build the squad that Ange, Ange needs to be successful. And it's going to take some time. I mean, we probably have a whole nother window, if not two before the squad is exactly what it needs to be. And speaks to the importance of, of not changing managers and keeping things congruent and concise, you know, for as long as possible, but it was definitely a big step in the right direction. Caroline, I feel like that's kind of what we've been talking about is this building of a, a plan under Ange. And this is the second window now. And with all of those outgoings and also, like Scott's saying, the the kind of the climate throughout Europe. I mean, Radu Dragashin was the most money that any Premier League team spent on any player in January. <laughs> like, that's not something that gets linked to Spurs a lot. But that paired with the number of outgoings and kind of like he like we're saying the plan that we can see in place i feel like it's really encouraging and i i agree with scott like one more window of of this type of business and boy howdy we're going to be raring to go come next season and that's not to say that there aren't goals in in the immediate future that that are are still on the table as well right yeah i think for me the biggest challenge that we have is is kind of moving on some of those players who are still sort of lingering around the club without any real prospect of getting back into the first team. And I think we've done a pretty good job of, you know, starting to make progress on moving those players on. You know, I, we did see a few players who kind of, you know, they're out on loan and they had to be recalled for a different opportunity because, you know, the place they had been placed just wasn't working out. Um, but I think we've also seen that work in a positive way for some of the younger players as well. Like, you know, Dane Scarlett, he was out on his loan at Ipswich Town and no one really had expected them to do as well as they had. So it became a situation where he wasn't getting enough game time. So they quickly, you know, made sure to bring him back. And now he's going to be just getting, you know, sort of that understudy role in the first team, um, which will be interesting for him. Same with Alfie Devine, you know, they decided he was ready for the next level. So instead of keeping him in that League One loan, he's now up in the championship. Um, So I think all positive signs. And the financial part is a big thing because, again, you know, we, we've not always given Daniel Levy the credit he perhaps deserves for looking to the future and being really, you know, sort of pragmatic because now we are in a better financial position than a lot of teams, not just in the Premier League, but also across Europe. Like, for example, Dragosian coming to Tottenham instead of Bayern. I can tell you right now, Bayern probably couldn't afford to pay as much as Tottenham can right now. Um, and there is kind of a bit of a complicating factor with with the German teams. I know you were asking about what, what the situation is in that league because the Federation has sort of announced a new investment scheme that is very controversial. <laughs> um, so there have been a lot of protests from, you know, sort of the fan ultras around that. And 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of, you know, will the Bundesliga teams actually become stronger players in the financial market? We'll see. But um, yeah, I just feel like Tottenham is in a very good spot right now. And it, it's going to be tough to I think to still move on some of these players, but it, it's good that we at least seem to have some strategies for, you know, in the sort of short term, getting the squad into a better place. And, you know, if, if we can't move them on on a permanent, at least making sure they're out on a loan so that we can bring someone in who is going to play in the short term. It is really wild, too, when you look at the Dragashin move and the rumors that he might have ducked off to Bayern. And instead, they're, you know, I, I know this is really close to you, Caroline, because you follow Bayern and are a Bayern fan, but like they're starting Eric Dyer the last few matches because of some injury and international duty stuff. And, and Dragashin is coming off the bench for Spurs in, late in the game. Like he's the third option. It's, it is a weird world when, when that kind of thing is going on. But, um, yeah, to, to your point, like Spurs and Daniel, and and you say like we haven't given enough. I think we on this podcast have given Daniel Levy some credit for the way he's set up this team financially. But the 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 more universal like Spurs fandom and supporters have have probably not. And yeah, the, I'm not saying that it was like evil genius type of stuff from Levy, but there was definitely some foresight into where things are going. And you know, Super League and all of that stuff removed from the equation. Like Spurs are set up in a pretty good position right now in order to strike while the iron's hot and make some moves, and um, they're doing so. So that's that's nice to see, and we'll have to see um, how that continues in the summer. But before the summer comes along, there's a little matter of the rest of a Premier League season. So we've got we do have to unfortunately talk about a tough result up at Everton at Goodison Park uh, on Saturday, two two draw. And I, I got to be honest with you guys, I felt weird about this one because i thought as i was watching the match and I, I i watched this match on delay i didn't watch it live i was really happy with the way that spurs played and then i looked at the statistics and realized that spurs kind of got their asses handed to them a little bit not only in terms of xg but in terms of shots and all of those types of things but i was not overly disappointed with how this match went um despite it being drop points and and giving up a goal in stoppage time late. Um, Scotty, there were two changes in this match that I think were frankly interesting and key. Both, uh, both of those things. Brennan Johnson came in for Dan Kulusevsky on the right side and Pierre-Emil Hoybier came into the midfield uh, for Oliver Skip. Did any of those, did either of those changes uh, stand out to you as wrong as weird as did you like them i because i didn't really know how to feel about either of them i felt like um with it being a wednesday to saturday and a kind of a short time frame i, I didn't mind a few changes i actually kind of would have expected a few more but what were your thoughts on the lineup in general yeah i mean i think my biggest surprise and concern was that there was no kulisevsky and i'm sure he's fucking knackered right the dude's been playing every minute we talked about that quite a bit but if you look to the previous match to Everton, it was clear that Kulisevsky coming into the middle changed everything. And we've been lacking a creative playmaker since the match against Chelsea, frankly, right? When Madison went down and to remove the only sense of, of a creative attacking presence we've seen since Madison left and Kulisevsky was a little bit surprising. Um, especially against a team like Everton, who was going to defend it's Sean Dyche, right? So, 
Um, I think my honest, maybe Ainge got that one wrong. And there can be things that factor in that I have no clue, right? Maybe he had a knock. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he just absolutely couldn't play because he was exhausted, whatever it was, right? But that was my biggest concern was that there was no Kulisevsky. And I don't know. I mean, we 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 created enough to win. So I, I won't put the result on Kulisevsky not playing. But I do think it disrupted the way that that – we how do I say this? Um, it just disrupted our ability to control the game, right? When you don't have that engine in the middle of the field who can progress the ball um, and 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 run from box to box like Kulisevsky is able to. So, um, but yeah, biggest surprise again with no Kulu. I'm I'm going to push back on you a little bit because I felt like this was the first game where we saw a little bit of James Madison being the old James Madison again um i felt like as compared to the midweek match against brentford where i was i was really critical as was was Ange after the match about the fact that madison just didn't really want to play football in the first half um was was kind of just dicking around and you know bitching to the refs for the for the, for the entirety of the first half against brentford i thought he was pulling some strings in this match and it was more so on the left side with Timo Werner and Destiny Dogi and obviously Richarlison, who we're going to come on to. It wasn't as much on the right side with Brennan, but I didn't think Brennan was bad per se in this match. Um, I thought Madison, though, was was cooking a little bit. And so I well, thought we had enough before. And to your point, like the goals were there. We scored twice off of great moves, both down the left side. Um, so I, I thought there was enough offensively to, to, to drive the engine through the midfield. Yeah, but I, I think we're I, I think we're not as far off on what we're saying here as it maybe seems from the surface because for two reasons. One, I think the Kulisevsky point is more about the legs that he offers and like what he's actually doing on the ball, right? Because what happens is, as you said, nail on the head, Madison tends to gravitate and drift to the left side of the field and had great length of play with Werner, but without Pop Star, you end up just like naturally forcing everything through Madison and we come very lo- we become very lopsided right so you you need you need somebody who can offer space and create space and um uh, uh help us progress down both sides of the field and I just think we were missing that yesterday again I'll say like Skip is just not capable of doing what Popsar does or what Kulisewski has done in, in you know in 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 the match prior to Everton I can't remember who we played um <laughs> But uh, so we'll just say the match prior to Everton. Ooh, it was Brentford. Did a great job. Thank you, Brentford. Oh fuck those guys. But um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, here's the, here's the problem. Yeah. You're 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 leading me into where I want to go next with this because Skip didn't start against Everton. He came off the bench. The real problem to me and where the extra oomph from the midfield wasn't coming from was not the guy who started for Skip Hoybier. It was the other guy. Uh, we've had a little bit of a we've had a little bit of a Bentinker problem the last few matches. He has not looked sharp. Caroline, where are you with this midfield and 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 Bentinker? Because that has not looked good at all. Well, that's exactly where I was going to go because you were asking earlier about did we need a little more rotation? And I think the answer is probably yes because Bentinker looks like he is still not quite recovered from that last injury. Um, and actually, I think the whole sort of midfield balance was a bit off and what we saw in the Grenford game in the second half that really worked was having Madison and Kulisevsky sort of as dual attacking midfielders. I thought that worked really well. So I, I think I might've liked to see that, but also, I mean, we don't know what Papsar's fitness level was like after, you know, AFCON, but I, I really would have liked to see him get a start as well. 
Um, I thought he was introduced maybe a little later um, than we would have liked to see. But I, I didn't think the first half was that bad overall, honestly. I think the second half is where I really started to have issues. But the last point I would make on, on rotation is that I think Udagi really could use a rest. Um, I, I know he's a young player and theoretically should have the engine to keep going and going. But he's, he's just been making a few more mistakes than I think a player should be making if he's like at full mental sharpness. I think it's, it's more yeah. the mental side for me. And I think, you know, Brennan, he got the rest and came off the bench in the Brentford game and really benefited from that. So I think that's kind of one place where Ange has sort of let me down with the man management, I think is having the awareness of, you know, when the players need not just a physical rest, but also mental. I, uh, I, I, I was pretty critical of Udogi after the Brentford match, giving the ball away and, and, and making some mistakes. And I, I fully agree with you, even though, again, in this match, he, he scored against Brentford and he had an assist in this match against Everton. But still, there, are, there is a little bit of that defensive work that, that still needs to be done. Um, speaking of you know, stepping in and stepping up, we've, we've, we've got a late, late joiner to the podcast. Mr. TC is with us. He is at TC underscore Kasho. Todd, what is up, my friend? Oh, I thought you were going to hit me, hit me with the uh, speaking of defensive work and uh, and have me hop in because it sounds like I'm going to have to be the one that's over here defending Ange and defending the fact that uh, I thought the man management was exceptional up until right about the time where um, he had to sub everybody out because we were gassed because we played a game, a late game on Wednesday and an early game on Saturday. And the what's the best way to put this? The continuity of the offense just fell off the map. Yeah. And that's gonna no, that's gonna you. that's gonna happen given given the rotation that we had. Um, I agree, Kaz. I I think that that uh, Destiny could definitely uh, appreciate a, a a rest here and there. I think that there is some some mental fatigue that you would expect to see three quarters through the first Premier League season for a nineteen year old. Um, so I definitely I definitely appreciate that perspective. Um, but I still thought he was fucking exceptional in, in so many different ways. Um. Above anything else, I thought that midfield was hampered by Sar not being fully fit, just coming back from AFCON. Um, by uh, Lolo being asked to play twice in a week for the first time in nine months. By yeah. like to start to start two games in a row, um, and, and so I think that, and we gave Kulusevski a rest. Kulusevski got arrested and, and had to come off the bench on this one. So he he rotated Brennan in the in the Brentford game. He rotated Kulusevski in this match, and without Sonny up front, and, and he's doing everything that he can from from from, and without a fully fit James Madison, who still I think he scores in the next game. I think he he's just just a step off the pace here. Well, well, right before you jumped on, I was talking about the fact that I thought Madison looked like Madison for the first time since mm. coming back in this match. He got the assist. He was he was a driving force, especially down that left side. And and this is where I wanted to get to with the goals because both of the Richarlison goals are created by a combination of Bidogi, Madison, and Timo Werner, who I think has been a really really nice addition to this mm-hmm. team on the left side. He's creating space. He is. Um, you know, maybe not directly assisting goals, but he's hockey assisting goals. Uh-huh. And it's been it's been a joy to watch on that left side with the three of them creating for Richarlison. And I want to double click on Richarlison, guys, because nine goals in his last eight in the Premier League, he's scored more than 
more than anyone would have expected him to. And he's been so damn important for this team right now. And it was kind of funny to see almost how, how reticent he was to celebrate at all at Goodison park. Like I, it almost was like, Hey man, you don't need to look like your dog died. Like it's okay. <laughs> like you can, you can, you can give your guys high fives and like maybe just not go over the top. But, um, but credit Richarlison's an intense guy, man. He's an intense guy. He, he kindly only has it's like he, that's his blue steel. Like you can't tell whether he's super excited or, or whether he, he's sure. respectfully not celebrating a goal. Like it's, you know. But, dude, but listen, we've we've, we've had we've had look. conversations about this guy's finishing over the last handful of months, and I like full credit to me. I said he needs to be finishing a little bit better. This dude is a finisher after 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 a couple right. of matches. Like he's been great. Go ahead, DC, jump in. Well, the the one thing that I want to point out is that I think that you can't overlook the st- like the the uh, the in stats here. And what I mean specifically is if you look at Richarlison's goals this season, every single one of them is less than three touches. If you make Richarlison think, he fucks it up. If you let Richarlison do instinctive finishing moves, he buries it. Well said. I mean, he, and, he probably and figured that out. Yeah, I mean, Richarlison's the most informed striker in Europe probably right now, and that comes and goes, right? It's it, it, it's okay to say that with the with the caveat that that will change at some point, right? But he's very much in form right now. I understand when you're a striker. Um, I often play the position in, in my men's league, right? I didn't play growing up, but when you're a striker and you have a good game and your team loses and you drop points at the end, you're fucking pissed. Like it's not, it's, it's, it's an infuriating thing. Right. So I understand his discontent, disappointment, whatever we want to call it. And, and I'm glad to see that. Right. Um, I think that couples really well with, with the form too. just that, that mental edge that you just don't accept anything other than a win. And um, yeah, just thrilled for Richarlison and everything we're, we're seeing. Um, and Todd, you hit the nail on the head and just really figured out how to best utilize Richarlison. And it's something that I don't think anyone in England has done, right? Even even at Everton when he was out wide and scoring a goal here and there, we're seeing a different form and a different version of Richarlison. So credit credit to Ange and, of course, credit to, to Richarlison as well. So. Indeed, indeed. And, and, you know, you can see as my tag here, Richarlison apologist, this is – I think the fourth week in a row that I have a third week in a row I've had to use this tag. This tag, uh, man, keeps j- just keeps scoring. If you would have told me at this point in time that Richarlison had ten league goals and three assists, I'd bite your hand off for that. Like, let's go. So, uh, no, and that's we're still in we're we're still in early February, Cass. So I, I think that there's a lot more to come from Richarlison, but I I don't th- I think we 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 briefly glossed over the point, and, and I want to throw it to you, Cass, on this specifically, Timo Werner is the reason why our offense has been clicking the last month. Oh, man. I have to eat so much crow about Timo Werner because it's I, – I mean, it makes sense that all he had to do was transfer to Tottenham for me to love him. Like, of course, it worked out that way. But genuinely, I think he has just come into the team with such a good attitude – and that really makes all the difference. Like he's hungry. He really wants to make an impact. And it, we're, we're just getting a lot more production from that left side than I was expecting us to have without Sun in the team. Uh, so it's, it's just a relief that he's, he's come in and made such an instant impact. And I think it's only going to improve also as he, you know, builds up those partnerships with the other forwards. 
which it looks like he and Rich Harlison already are linking up really well. Um, so that's good to see. And, you know, it, we've kind of missed having someone with that kind of crossing ability with Perisic, you know, no longer a factor. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I just have to to admit that I was wrong, and you know he's he's really getting the business done. So good for him. Well, I've got a I've got a question for you on that, Kaz. How do you think Timo's going to do going from a starting role to a support role when Sonny gets back? I, well, like I said, I think his attitude is really good, so I don't think we're going to see a drop off. Um, I think he's going to see that as you know his his super sub moment and just run with it. Well, I love that. And I hope you're right, because, I mean, everybody can have a good attitude when you're starting every match. So it, I'm just that's the reason why I asked the question, because, you know, it, it's the, the thing that I that I like about Timo Werner specifically is what Andrew mentioned in one of the last pods, which is if you remove the image of Timo Werner striker from your head and just think about Timo Werner left wing facilitator, like we got every single cent worth of that 15 million or whatever we paid for. Well, and, and there's I, also, go ahead, no, I mean, yeah, before, before we talk about, does he start, does he not? I think there's very much a world where Werner and son flank Richarlison with Kulisevsky in the middle of the park too. I, you know, I don't know, oh, don't know what that does go. to the midfield, but one thing that we talked about right before you got on Todd was that it, against Everton, when you, when you have two just kind of stagnant and drab midfielders paired with a Madison, everything gets stuffed down the left side of the park because Madison's your only creative presence and he is always on the left side of the field, right? So we've become very lopsided. And what we saw with Kulisevsky and Madison both in the middle of the park was just just very, very much even distribution across our attack, right? And um, no sense of a lopsided attack at all. And so I'd be curious to see if Angel wants to play around a little bit more with that, right? And Sar's back and Started a good job of making sure that didn't happen prior to him going to Afcon. I don't well, know how. You know, I I don't know how long it takes Sar to, to get back to, to full fitness. I mean, traveling to Africa in itself is 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 exhausting, right? And sure. playing and playing in a competition and all the bus rides. There's no infrastructure, right? You're not no. just you're not flying into Madrid and popping off the plane and quick ride to the Bernabeu, right? It's it's a whole different <laughs> deal. So it'll be it'll be a, a bit before he's back to full fitness, I think, or, or full integration in, into the squad. But, um, but yeah, I really like the prospects of Kulisetsky and Madison paired as, as dual attacking well, midfielders. You know, we talked on that. And, you know, I heard you guys mention that as I was jumping in. And, you know, the one piece that I wanted to raise on that is I don't – like, SARS the legs, right? So he and Kulisetsky essentially play the same role in exactly. that midfield as you're talking about it. And so I think that one of the big misses there is like, you know, with, with Hoybier and Lolo, like Lolo is the anchor. That's fine um, in the system that you're taught. But Hoybier, you know, kind of playing alongside Madison, we all. Well, I love Pierre for so many reasons, but just not in this system. We can let, keep it moving. Let me let me let me cut you off right there, TC, um, because I, I actually think PEH has done yeoman's work the last handful. of He weeks. has. Like, he I, has. I, but I see, and mean. this is. This is the reason why I have to put why I have to push back on the pH slander that I hear is that if if you're asking it's an it's an it's an Albert Einstein quote right if you're judging a fish aptitudes by its ability to climb a tree dot dot right dot, right yes and yes. so that's what I'm looking at is right now pH is a fish and we're asking him to climb an Ange tree and he's like well what the fuck am I gonna do with these fins 
So, you know, and, he's, and he keeps, and he looks like he's trying to shoot the ball with fins right now, if we're being 100 about it. Anyway, it's, there's been some wild he, swings and misses. And pass, this year. to be honest. It's, it's been a rough cast. No, but I, what, I definitely I wrote say, down on my notes. I definitely wrote down on my notes. PEH had two Sissoko shots in this match, which were. It was rough. It was yikes. rough. No, but I will, t- I will tell The one point that I wanted to get out on this midfield is, well, it's two points. I won't lie. The first point is Madison is about a step and a half off. About a step and a half off from getting the like there were three different opportunities in the Everton match where old Madison takes a quick step and creates space for himself and gets a shot. And he doesn't have that quite in his locker yet. I think we're about a game away from that. The legs are almost back. The other thing that I'm saying is that if you want to play that Kulisevsky Madison with an anchor system, that's great, Scotty. You're not going to be able to play it all the time. You're only going to be able to play it against certain opponents. And when you do, I want Basuma as the anchor instead of yeah. Lolo. Yeah, well, the, honestly, or I think sorry. that that's what I wanted to get to is, is and I've been saying it every episode, we're missing Basuma desperately right now. He he, the the way that he receives the ball turns into immense pressure, pulls all all that pressure to him, and opens up all that space for Sar and Madison. Both is we're just desperately missing that. Um, he's, you know, you guys know, not my favorite guy, but he's a very talented anchor. He's extremely good at at fighting through pressure with the ball at his feet, which is a really hard thing to do. And we're just we're missing that right now. I, I think that's it's it's easy for us to graze over that because it's been a while since he's been part of the eleven. But as soon and and, and I think Sar probably Sar's rise is pulls away from the attention that Basuma could be getting right. But he's we're just missing him so much. So on that on that point, Basuma is returning from Afcon. Molly were were knocked out. Um, so there there is you know there is a return imminent for for Basuma like there like we saw with Sar coming off the bench. Um, on that front, Sunny by the way still moving on in the Asian Cup. They, South Korea with the dramatic victory and uh, on to the semifinals. By the on way, they Sunny's say, boot. They, yes, on Sunny's boot with a brilliant free kick. Uh, they they beat Australia, got into the semis. They faced Jordan on Tuesday, the other semifinal in the Asian Cup, Iran versus Qatar. So if you're if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, that is coming up this week. I, I, w- I do want to touch on kind of, and we're, we're kind of answering it in a roundabout way already, and I don't want to harp too much on it, but Dustin Dietz did ask a question about what is our ideal starting 11 under the current squad. And I think that all the things you guys are talking about with the, the, the way that the midfield can be set up, I think it's very dependent on the opponent. And I think mm. that's the case in any case, but some of the combinations you 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 two are talking about, like if you want to throw Kulisevsky and Madison and either Bentoncourt or Basuma or Sar or there the the thing that I love about this team right now is that it can be molded in a, in a number of different ways. You've got flexibility with Kulisevsky, can play on the right wing, can play in the midfield. You've got flexibility with the wingers, with Werner and Son will be back in another couple of weeks and. Johnson and like, like there's just so many different moving parts. The only place where we are kind of stable as hell is on that back line. And that's kind of where I want to get to next because I've been, I've been half baking a take. All right. And look, I'm just going to get to it. I've been half baking a take the last few weeks. It's ready to come out of the oven. You guys have kind of scoffed at me when I've mentioned a little bit of hesitance around the game of Guglielmo Vicario the last few weeks. And after watching him on, on, on Saturday against Everton, I'm fully ready to pull that cake out of the oven 
and present it to you all. I am a little bit worried and I know that there's going to be a conversation and Todd, before you jump in here, I know what you're going to say and I, I respect and appreciate it. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit of a conversation about what, what, how much pushing and shoving can be happening, but Vicario has not taken charge of his box and his area and his space and his defenders on set pieces. And that led to both of the goals that Everton scored on Saturday. And for me, in my mind, and this is the hot take of all the hot takes, and I've got my oven mitts on, and I'm look, it, it's it's steaming, it's coming out here for you guys. I think that the the one person that needs to wear this result from Saturday more than anyone is the goalkeeper. All right, I'll jump in. Mm. I here's the thing. I think you can take one look at Vicario and understand that he is not going to be the most physically commanding keeper. Okay. He's not, he's not a bulky guy. He is tall, but I really think some of the blame here needs to fall to the center backs and the other defenders for not doing a better job of protecting him because absolutely that the referees are not going to do that. And you know, that's, it's a controversial you know, situation, the officiating. It's and, the third match in a row. Well, yes, exactly. So it's it's frustrating to me, not only that, you know, it's an issue from the officiating perspective, but also that we have not been proactive about trying to mitigate it, you know, within our own game. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah. we give away too many set pieces to begin with, and that's a whole other, you know, subject. But I, well, I, what I'm saying is I don't think I would place sole blame on Vicario. I do agree it's something he needs to work on in his game, but I do think the blame has to be shared. You, what, I'll, what I'll say is I, I'm going to add what you said and agree. That's the frosting on the cake. I, I do think that there needs to be a little bit more help from the defense. But Vicario, for me, right now, looks – and I'm not saying he shouldn't be because it's a dangerous thing. He looks afraid of contact. He looks to be fearful of mixing it up at times. And like the second goal, for example, it's a tough play to make, but he looked hesitant to move to the left side of the because goal. Because he's getting it. fucking undercut. Like, I'm, dude, enough. That's enough. It's, it's where we are in this entire situation is here. You have a center back that wears a fucking armband and you've got an Armani model who's 6'5 standing next to him. Fuck somebody up. It's not okay to let your keeper get beat up like that. I don't care if you get tossed. We got the giant Romanian to come in and back you up if you got to get heaved because somebody's fucking up your guy. Like, you can't come out here and tell me, Romero, that all these guys are your brothers and then let your guy get pumped like that three matches in a row. That is 100% on you. That's 100% on Ryan Mason is the, oh, the free kick set piece coach at this point in time. We're missing our guy, Giovanni, whatever the hell that gentleman's name, um, Come on, Scotty, help me out. Yeah, Yeah, VO. Yeah, we're missing that guy. As soon as that guy left, we started shitting the bed when it came to goals and set pieces. We've got six matches. I'm pretty sure he was the offensive set piece guy, not the defensive set piece guy. But but go on. You're on a roll. No, no, no. He was a set piece coach, and he had 300 different set piece plays in his book. If you don't think that some of those were defensive, you're not paying attention. Just saying. As I'm looking at this entire situation right here, this boils down to three things. One, this is Vicario's first year in the Premier League, and we're starting to learn the dirty tricks of these motherfuckers at the highest level. So that's on him to adapt, and I agree with that. But that is the least of the issues. The second thing is the team, Romero, 
the coaching staff, whoever it is, three matches in a row, we recognize what the shit's going on and we're not changing it. That's on them to change those things, to not put him in that position to be exposed in that way. And the third thing is, PGMOL, get your fucking shit together. Because you can't tell me that the type of contact that I'm seeing on keepers that you guys are calling for every other fucking squad in the league and then watching my guy get absolutely legitimately undercut on a fucking set piece. And you're going to tell me, oh, I don't know, fucking rules of the game. VAR looked at that and went, nah, we can undercut keepers. That's fine. No, dude. All right. I was with you on the first two points. Yeah, I, no, I, shocker. Andrew doesn't <laughs> want to criticize PGMOL. It's uh, the rub of the green. Man, not for, not for this it's match, not I this. don't. Not Buddy, for not this on match, this, I man. Don't. Not, not on this, man. You can't, like, the health of the keeper, the health of the keeper is not something that my guy should be worrying about as he's trying to protect his own box. Like, who's going to fucking blindside me is not the keeper's responsibility to look out for. And, and so what I'm saying is that PGMOL is doing a disservice to the keeper position by not properly officiating this type of rule. And what's going to happen, Andrew, is the same shit that would happen with the fucking Sissoko handball is we're going to get to the offseason when they can make rule changes, and all of a sudden there's going to be a rule change that protects the keepers because, you know, we don't want to make sure that it, it's like, yeah, dude, that would have been nice. Can I have my fucking 10 points back? Anyway. Well, honestly, PGMOL is – kind of diluting the entire game right now from a few different angles, in my opinion. But I'll say a couple of things on Macario. First, he was given a thick to Romero at halftime when they were walking off the field. And and I'm sure it was that exact conversation based on the first goal Everton scored, right? He, re- he really was. And Romero looked like he did not look like he was wanting to, to, to reciprocate, you know, the, the giving it thick back to Vicario because I think he knows. But also, I got to say it, and back to the refereeing, I think I think Romero's scared shitless to take a red. Like I think he's he he's been scared to to get into physical altercation since he missed three matches. And you're a captain now. I think he's kind of in in his own head, and 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 it's affecting his play in the box. So Ange got has got to get that sorted out. But I think regardless of oh, go ahead, Andrew. No, I was just saying. But you know what? To 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 your point on Romero, that's also um, a problem of his own making. Like he's created a, that reputation for himself to to, to an extent. Yeah, not true. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And so you know, he, him and Ainge together are going to have to get it worked out. We could say, but as far as Cario goes, I mean, best shot stopper in the league that I've seen this season. Um, and I haven't watched every game of every team, right? I've I've watched our matches, but um, I haven't seen a better shot stopper. Um, set pieces are 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 very complicated and. Uh, uh, very complicated thing. I'm at a loss for words here, but it, but we're going to have to get it figured out. And that's where a guy like Vio is super helpful. Right. But, um, but ultimately until we get our set pieces sorted out, we're going to concede unnecessary goals. While we're on the officiating topic, sort of, I just want to say the thing that really bothered me the most, and especially in the second half of the game was the way that our players were just, trying to do everything they could to get a foul called, you know, going down too easily. I, I just felt like we did not learn the lesson from the Brentford game that we're not getting these calls. It's just not happening. So we need to just play beyond that. You know what I mean? Like just make it so that they, it's not even a factor, um, you know, just keep playing 
And, you know, seeing players, especially someone like Madison, who's one of the vice captains engaging in that sort of thing, is just very frustrating to me. There, there was one instance from Michael Oliver in this game that I will like roundly criticize. And it was when Destiny Adogi got hit in the head. There was a solid, and he saw it, there was a solid 20 seconds that he let play go on with Odogi down on the ground holding his head, which is supposed to be an immediate stoppage when there's a head injury. That was inexcusable for Michael Oliver. And I, 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 I was fuming, uh, and I counted out loud sitting here on my couch. One, two. I mean, it was about 20 seconds that he allowed Odogi to lay on the ground while the ball was still being kicked around before he stopped play. And that is the kind of thing if we if we want to talk health and safety and and protecting players that's the kind of thing that's inexcusable and look anyone who listens to this podcast knows i'm not one to massively criticize officiating i will step in when it when i feel like something's egregious that was egregious it was really bad when it comes to the fouls on vicario i don't in this game again look if you want to talk about the ruben diaz foul in the fa cup match i definitely there's an argument there it's I don't the same shit either, no i don't i think i think you're wrong tc and that's fine we can disagree but I think that both instances in this match, I think that there was no argument for an actual foul to be called. I think that Vicario is is not putting himself, not only is his defense not putting himself in the best position, but I don't think he's putting himself in the best position to defend these set pieces. It's a team issue. It's not all on Vicario. I, I, I admit that. But as the, 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 the man wearing the gloves, I feel like I just want to see a little bit more of, and, and to your point, like, they're, he's given it to Romero going into half. Like he, that kind of thing needs to be worked out amongst everyone. And I'm glad to see Vicario taking charge of that. I want to see it more, and I want to see him grabbing these guys by the scruff of the neck and saying, "Protect me. I am your goalkeeper. Treat me, treat me better." That's where I'm at. So for, clar- for clarity, you're you're completely comfortable with Everton players undercutting our keeper on set pieces. I- I just, I, just I, think, I think I think you're using the word undercutting as a as a global. Well, I think like, when someone they got, they ducks down him. behind the keeper's legs, and then the keeper runs backwards over them and falls over. I, listen, man, we're getting into semantics at this point in time. I agree yeah. that that uh, that the, the blame is it can, can widely go around. Uh, and, and if we want to, if we want to give this one to Bacario, I guess that's fine. Uh, but wh- I'm not what, letting Romero off. Well, Either, I just, way, what, especially listen, for the second I, goal, like like that's a really bad clearance for that second goal. He, he he did not clear the ball properly whatsoever. Listen, what we're seeing for from Romero is is a real growth season this year. Okay, it, to say that there's going to be some fallout after oh I don't know winning the World Cup at 24 and then having to go back to your club team and watching it shit the bed under a manager that doesn't really want to be there, like that's a rough that's a rough year. And then to get a captainship. And then to come out and then all of a sudden your aggressive play that's made you who you are the entire time has now branded you as a dirty player with the interesting refereeing group here. And then you got to figure out how to play as a captain with the same intensity and, and aggression, but without that little nasty streak that makes you who you are. How Romero comes out of this season and, and, and kind of goes into the next season of his career, or actually how he finishes this season, is going to say a lot about his character more than anything else. Because I think that this is the type of thing that, that as a young man, where you go from being, oh, my talent's always, my talent and hard work has always got me to where I am, to, oh, I need to learn the nuance of this role. I need to figure out what greatness looks like for me and then chase that. I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, uh, growing pains that we're seeing from Romero right now. And, and again, I'm totally happy with him making them this year. 
and just best teams are always in his second year at a club. I think we're setting up very, very nicely for that. I, well, I'm fully on board with that, TC. I love that. I, I think we've talked about the lineup. We've talked about tactics. We've talked about the set pieces and the refereeing and, and the Vicario of it all. But for me, and this may be just me, the, the biggest point to all of this is we did enough to win the game and we didn't kill the game off. And that's what just frustrates me more than anything. We put ourselves in a position to drop points. I think some of it's tactical. I think some of it's just mentality from the players. Um, you know, like Caroline said, we're, we're trying to draw, take fouls and go down and waste time and all that, but there's other ways to kill a game off. Um, and I just, I didn't see it yesterday. And it's, it's extremely frustrating because the manager made the decisions that were good enough to get the points and, and, and we didn't. Right. So, and, and again, it's not saying that it's not on Ange. it's, it's certainly on him. It's on the players. It's on everybody, but our ability to kill games off has got to start showing its, its head or, or top four is going to be a challenge. Yeah, it's been tough. That and, and I've, I've shared something, Andrew, in, in the in, on the old Twitter or whatever we're calling it these days. Yesterday, where it was like six different matches this season, we've conceded stoppage time goals. Yeah, it's too many. To that point, is there any issue from from any of the three of you with the three late subs that Ange made in in seeing out this game? We saw Ryan Heal and Oliver Skip come on in the 86th minute for James Madison and for Timo Werner. And then in the 89th minute, we saw Radu Dragashin come on for Pierre-Emil Hoybier. It felt almost like, I, look, I, I don't disagree with like getting new bodies in, but when we're talking for a seven or eight or nine minute cameo into stoppage time, and that's when the goal came, is there an issue with that, Caroline? Is that like part of what we're talking about in terms of seeing off a game? Yeah, I have a major problem with the trend in the last two games of reverting to what looked to me like a back three for the final stages of the game. I don't think it works. It feels like a relic of the Conte era. And we were playing like we did under Conte in this situation, you know, not trying to get another goal, which we very well could have with personnel who were on the field. You know, we, we had the people who could get it done, but instead we were just setting back and, you know, trying not to concede. And I feel like we've seen so many times in the past that that simply does not work for us. Um, and I, yeah. I don't want to be harsh on Jagashin because he is obviously brand new to the team and hardly has any minutes. Um, he was slightly making me nervous with some of the, you know, challenges that he was making. I think he was close to a penalty a couple of times. Um, but again, I'm not going to lay the blame on him. I think it's more just the tactical shift really, just interrupted our flow and did not work. So I, I don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, what happens when you go to a back three or a five or whatever it is, right. Is you can see the middle of the park and it, what's, what's strange to me is we've been so good because of our ability to control the midfield. And, and then we put all the emphasis on width with a back three and it just, doesn't really work it becomes a bit of a donut right and and again when you can see the midfield you're always going to be under siege so something has to give I also think it's worth pointing out that when we get our full squad back you maybe don't make those changes right I think we're we're a little bit light of subs and you want to get Dragush in minutes right you, you um he just turned down buyer to come to Spurs and you know that's his decision but part of man management is is rewarding someone for making that decision, right. And getting them on the field. So um, 
I, I do think when Sonny's back and and Basuma's back and um, et cetera, et cetera, we probably don't bring a center back on late in the game. But still, um, I think it was it was a tactical mistake that cost us points and led to the set piece that that you know led to the own goal that that led to to us dropping again those those two points. So um, I think I hate saying it, but I I think it falls at Ange's feet more than anything, right? And I think. When you, when I have to, I have to be very careful when I say this because Ange has won everywhere and people will say, oh, they're lesser leagues, whatever. The the talent matches the league, right? He's winning regardless of where he's been. That That's extremely important. This is also the Premier League. And so I've said all that. Now I'll say it may be a little bit different killing off a Premier League match than it has been in other matches for him, right? At, at Celtic, it's probably a little easier to kill a game off than it is at Tottenham. So, um, and again, Ange is just fucking phenomenal and just exactly where he should be, but he's going to learn in this first season in England too, and I think that's some of it as well. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. Uh, I think that Ange has definitely shown um, the, the humility um, that you'd like to see from a manager going through the ebbs and flows of a Premier League season for the first time. Um, that, you know, obviously he's, he's a very affable character. Um, but if you actually listen to what he says, like he's very self-aware, very, very okay. critical where need be when the time arises. Like, I, it's just it's it's so refreshing. And such, I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to learn as much as I can from from the way that this. Because I mean, this guy has literally been presented with as many challenges as you could possibly present it in a, in, in a leadership role in the first year on a job. Like, like best player leaves. Like, ownership may or may not give you dollars. Bringing in new players. Like, trying to figure out where to make things work. Oh, by the way, red cards and and all everybody on your team gets hurt within the first two months you're there after you already started winning. Anyway, lesser people would have cracked them to this type of pressure and, or at least made themselves look like Mikel Arteta. Um, and Ange hasn't done anything remotely close to that. So, And all of that, and you know, you've got 15 games left to play in a Premier League season and you're two points out of the top four. Like that's not a bad place to be in. Like you're right there uh, knocking on the door of doing some really great things and getting this team back into the Champions League where I feel like it 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 feels it it can belong. Um up next for Spurs is a home match against Brighton. So it's 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 kind of a weird schedule like I think the next 3 matches end up being home matches because that Chelsea game is postponed. So it's Brighton uh Saturday February 10th, Wolves Saturday February 17th, and then Crystal Palace Saturday March 2nd with that postponement thrown in there so a chance to perhaps and hopefully build up a little bit more points in the bank and kind of get rolling here anything else we need to say about this this team as it kind of you know looks down the barrel of a home stretch i mean it's not we're not quite there there's still plenty of games to play but um i think this is a a positive step and despite despite only getting a point at goodison park against a, a, a what is a feisty i also like i think we we do these podcasts and we criticize spurs and we praise them where they should be we also never kind of say everton are feisty as hell they might not be that good but they are feisty as hell and that's not a fun place to go play with that those fans all you know oiled up and ready to go and they're pissed off at at everything and look maybe they've got a right to be but like credit to everton a little bit too for for battling back and getting a getting a point off of us um yeah i i mean i really like braithwaite 
I, I think they, that guy's really, really solid. Uh, I have a lot of time for him. Um, I also think that if you like take away the, the points deduction, Everton looks entirely different on the league table. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it was probably more apt the, uh, the opponent that we saw at Goodison Park, as opposed to what the, what, what the league table might tell you. Um, no, nah, but mostly fuck those guys. We did this to ourselves. So I knew yeah. that was coming. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was, and, I was and, bracing and, myself for it. <laughs> yeah. And, and on that note, the last thing I'll say is, is the, again, it's, it's an okay point, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You cannot drop those points if you have aspirations to be in the top four at the end of the season. It's just, it's, it's frustrating. And, the, my my concern is if you miss out on top four, and this is be, this is because you're a product of your own success, it leaves a really shitty taste in my mouth if we don't get top four, right? If we have to go pick ourselves up and go after it again next season, that really sucks. And if you look at the table, like we're very much in the realm of maybe not getting top four. So like those two points yesterday are important, right? And it, it's frustrating, but every reason to think we're going up and not down. Right. So it's all good. It's not the same conversation we were having last year. We were dropping points under Conte and singing Mauricio Pochettino's name at games. And it, uh, just wondering if the club was on the verge of folding. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a stark 180, but um, at the same time, cannot continue to drop points. Like, like we did yesterday. Just, it, it can't happen. There's, there's no positives for me to take from yesterday at all. And how far we've come, Andrew, in just one short season, as Scott points out, but more specifically at the beginning of this season, Scott's over here saying, I would leave a really sour taste in my mouth if we don't get top four. Mm-hmm. There were there were clown notes getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to sit behind a desk that were claiming that we weren't going to be in the top half of the table. Yeah, so relegated. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I'm I, I'm over here saying what Ange has done in the if you if you zoom out a little bit and take a thirty thousand foot view at this season is nothing short of remarkable. I would say if you zoom in a little bit more, not only um, are, are we doing the things on the pitch to like overcome the challenges that we have, getting people like Madison healthy, getting people like Sar integrated again, getting people like Mickey Vandeven back, who's been nothing short of amazing since he's shown up. And God bless it, handsome, that man. Jesus. Anyhow, what about this Swedish kid that we're bringing in? We've done great things in this window, guys. Just in this one window alone, changed the whole complexion of this team for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's it's it certainly is, you know, things are looking up. I think that's where we're at. It, it, it's, it's a positive thing. Um, look, Spurs men were not the only team to drop points with a stoppage time goal given up uh the women did it as well and this this one kind of sucked as well uh spurs women won liverpool women won uh this was a tough one caroline because like i feel like all the momentum was going spurs way in the second half of this match it was goalless at the half but um bizette comes through with a goal in the 71st minute and then all of a sudden you switch off for a moment and Liverpool come right back. What was your takeaway from this one? It was, um, and we're going to talk about the transfers on, on that side as well, because it was not only a busy window for the men, but we haven't, we haven't talked about the women's window as well, which was also a lot of outgoings with a few incomings as well. But this match was, I think another one where you, you're going to kind of rue this at the end when you look back at this was three points, should have been three points, right? Yes. But at the same time, I feel like 
it was probably a fair result because I think Liverpool and ourselves have both been kind of on the same path this season, you know, starting to make that leap towards, you know, being closer to sort of that top four in the table, but we both have our faults. <laughs> and that was very obvious on the goal that we conceded, I would say. Um, but I do think, you know, the first half was kind of just a straight up battle. And then in the second half, we really did take some control, I think, with the substitutions that we brought on. So Kit Graham and Jess Naz, especially, I thought really took us up a level. Um, and I actually wanted Jess to start because I feel like Beth and Martha working together has not been the most successful experiment um, just because they have a lot of overlap in their skill sets. And I think we really needed someone like Jess to provide something different um, in the forward line. So I think when she came on, we did get some of that control back and looked a lot better. But the goal that we conceded was just so, so awful. And I think this is another one kind of like with the first goal that the men's team conceded, um, where you have to split the blame between the keeper and the defense. Like nobody came out of this one looking good. Because <laughs> to me, I felt like Barbara needed to come out to claim that ball. And it, it seemed like Charlie Grant, she kind of was thinking the same thing. And that's why she was a little hesitant um, in, in clearing it. But e even after that moment, there were several players who could have, you know, put in a block or a tackle and just did not. So it felt like a really needless goal to give away. So, yeah, I'm of two minds with this result. Like it's it's not the worst in the world, but it was preventable. So that's, it, it I think, why it's frustrating. It almost looked as if like the team's brains just turned off for a moment and all of a sudden the ball was in the back of the net. Um, it was frustrating. I want to go back to the point you just made about Beth and Martha playing up top together, though, because when when Martha Thomas was on her absolute tear the first half of the season, we were all thinking, oh, imagine adding Beth England to this mix. And now that Beth England has been back for a few matches and is still granted, probably getting her legs under. She came off after 61 minutes in this match, but like we have not really seen any kind of chemistry between those two. Is there a fix to that? Or is it just as simple as no, just like you said, just Naz brings something different to the mix and coming off the wing can really do dangerous things rather than having these two quote unquote strikers playing up top and not really meshing together as well. Yeah. I, I think for me, the thing is that I actually at this point prefer to see Jess at striker because um, I think she's just so much more effective than than both of them at making those runs in behind. And we've had a lot of success with that this season, you know, because we do have players like Olga Atenen who can put in that kind of pass. Even Martha, you know, I think she can be effective, you know, behind Jess. Um, but I just don't think that, that she and Beth have really, like you said, formed that connection. And to be fair, I think both of them are still kind of struggling to get back to full fitness after injuries like Martha in particular she's just not been as sharp as we are used to seeing her because she did have a few opportunities in this game um but I think you know that that's kind of where Robert Villahan needs to say okay one of you does not need to be starting we need something different um so hopefully for the next game which we're probably gonna have to see some rotation anyway because we've got another three game week um, so I, I would expect to see Jess starting in the next game, honestly. Well, and, yeah. and Scotty, you made a sorry, Scott, I was going to set you up here. You made a point about the width with the team too. And I think that's something, even if, if Jess Naz is going to play through the middle, 
I feel like she does also provide width, like coming from that wing as well. And once she came on, that's that's kind of what we saw. Like we saw her come on uh, for Beth England in the 61st minute, and then the goal came 10 minutes later. Yeah, I mean, and and you you hit the nail on the head with where, where exactly where I was going. What I see with Beth is that anytime your ta- your tactical approach is to have somebody tucked underneath a striker like a Martha Thomas has been, and your striker doesn't move much, it's just not, never going to work. Everything gets jumbled up, and there there's no space. Right? There's no one's creating space to move the ball. Um, and Jess Naz does that, right? She moves around a lot. She's all over the final third, allowing whoever's tucked underneath her to operate and, and breathe a little bit. So, unfortunately, it's the way Beth is playing is is hindering the attack, in my opinion. And it's it's a crazy thing to say, right? She'll figure it out. She's super talented. Um, but but that's the the biggest, uh, I guess, thing that I'm seeing from fr- from the attack when it's stale. I also think, and I mentioned this in the chat, Liverpool they were doing such a good job of commanding the space in front of our fullback. So not only talking about with in the attack here, but with in ball progression and defense, whatever it was, right. We were getting pelted down the flanks. Um, Justin has helped a ton there, but we kept trying, we kept trying to stuff the ball up the middle. It wasn't working. And all Liverpool had to do was, was uh, uh, recover possession, move it out wide. And they were, they were in right just over and over again. So I think there was a great tactical shift at halftime from, from Robert and, and he identified that for sure um, and, and made the change. But I, I think uh, we're going to have to find ways to get more uh, uh, from our width if, if we want to continue to be successful. I'll also say that the, the two points dropped really hurts. I think um, regardless of that though, regardless of the fact that we could have taken three points from Liverpool a point at Liverpool is a much better point than say the men's result at Everton. Right. And I think the, the, that the, the women can take a lot away from today. I, I ended our, our talk about the men's team saying there's zero positives from dropping those points at Everton, but I think there's plenty of positives today from, from the, from the women's game, um, be them tactical, mental, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I think, we also have a couple of players, well, three really with, with Charlotte as well, that, you know, these new signings haven't had a ton of game time except for the fullbacks. I think they've started a few games now, but like Shuang Wang, she just got her second appearance today. And I think she looks very promising. Um, and obviously she's also coming off an injury that she had when she joined the club. So we don't know necessarily what her fitness level is. But, you know, she and Amanda Nilden, they both had pretty good chances to assist in this game. And they they chose not to and chose to take the shot themselves. And I think it's just going to be a matter of, you know, building up that rapport with their teammates and having the confidence to make the better decision and not take the chance themselves, which, you know, they're new players trying to prove themselves. So I get it. Um, But I think that was just something that we, we definitely could have had. Um, no, I, I chances to I, win I, the game, I, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I, I think that the point that, that both of you made, but specifically, Kaz, the, the point that you made uh, about the the Beth England and, and Martha Thomas overlap in terms of their kind of their instinctive runs, I, I think, and and is such a critical point to make. It reminded me a lot of like. Sonny and Perisic, when they played on the pitch at the same time last year, it felt like one was cannibalizing the other's skill sets. 
and it just kind of left uh, both less effective than maybe we would want them to be. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the, when it comes to the, the 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 window, though, and we haven't even really talked either about the Ashley Neville of it all. That's a that's a tough blow, and I think that hurts the the width that we were talking about. Yeah. But when it comes to the signings, Caroline, this was a huge window as well. And we've started to kind of touch on some of the new the new bodies that we've seen come in, but we haven't really talked about the the rash of outgoings like we saw on the men's side. I think it was 10 on the men's side. I believe it's another eight on the women's side that have gone out uh, w- along with the four incomings. Do we want to like we haven't really wrapped up the whole of January on the women's side yet. Do we want to do we want to do that now and how we're kind of feeling? I I also I feel kind of weird having these conversations and comparing, but because we've done that a lot over the last few months, comparing the directions of, of both the men's and women's side. But it is there is comparisons to be made because it feels like a program is being built and progress is being made on both ends. Right. Right. It's it's an intentional decision by the club to have, you know, a lot of overlap with the strategies of the two different teams. You know, they are both trying to go in a younger direction with the squad more attacking football. So it it does make sense that we're making comparisons, even though it feels like kind of the easy, you know, route to take. But I I think, you know, we didn't talk yet about Angrad James getting that kind of surprise move out on deadline day. She signed with Seattle Reign and NWSL. You know, I this one really took me by surprise because she had been such an important player to us this season you know, not only just in the sense that she literally played every game, but she had managed to sort of transform herself from this, you know, midfielder into a right back, which was not obviously her preferred position, but I thought she really, you know, took that opportunity and ran with it. And I, I feel like we were seeing the best of her finally, you know, in her second year with the club, but it does make sense for her to make this move from a personal perspective. Like she wants more game time and she knows that she's, you know, both of those positions that she's been playing, we have a lot of of depth in now. So I get it. It's just, it feels a little sad to have someone who also was very well liked within the squad um, to see her go. And I think my disappointment was that we didn't use this opportunity to bring in another center back because that's an area where we do not have depth at all. And I think Robert addressed this in his last press conference where he said that, you know, we don't want to make sort of a rash signing. That's not who we are as a club. And I get that. But (laughs) at the same time, it is a a situation where we we just don't quite have the bodies at the center back position. And we're in a position where Amy Turner is starting every game because, you know, God knows what's going on with Luana Buhler. She's, she's been on the bench the past few games, but has not been yeah. back in. So that's, that's concerning to me because I just don't think, for one thing, Amy Turner and Barbara Botikova, they do not have the chemistry, <laughs> which we have seen, you know, several times over the past few games. Um, and I think as a partnership, she and Molly don't necessarily work well either because um, they're, they're two similar players, kind of like we're, we're seeing at the striker position as well. Um, so that to me was really the only negative of the window is, is that lack of depth at center back. But otherwise I do feel like we had a pretty strong window. You know, we've definitely bolstered our attacking firepower. Like it's, it's good to see that we finally have a bench where we have some actual game changers available 
and also players who can come on and just make sure we're not dropping a level when those subs come on, which is, I think, what we used to see in seasons past. Um, and, you know, as we said, younger players as well. So Matilda Vinber, she was a player who didn't get any game time in this past game, but she's a very promising talent at the winger position. So it feels like we're, we're, we're pretty well set up in the forward and midfield areas, but the defense is still a little bit of a concern. <laughs> Luana Buller certainly hasn't earned any kind of Ryan Sessegnon comparisons, but I am starting to worry about the health because it, it like she, since she's come in, she's looked good when on the pitch, but it, like that's been what's your best between. ability, Andrew? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. We need players available in order to, to make this whole thing work. Um, and that has been tough. So I agree with you. The, the, the defense, especially when you see like exactly what happened in this Liverpool match, um, it, 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 it can be better, but you know, it's, it's small increments. It's small. I mean, again, I hate comparing the men's and women's teams, but there are so many parallels between first year managers who want to play attacking football, who are trying to rebuild something. Um, and it is, you know, <laughs> unfortunately the comparisons don't continue when you talk about <laughs> dropping points late in matches uh, by giving up goals that probably shouldn't have been given up. So, uh, eh. I hate to end it on a sour note like that, but that is kind of <laughs> that is kind of where we're at for this week. Uh, a, a nice end to the window, but let's see three point results, not one point results from here going forward. Um, next up for the women, uh, you you alluded to it, Caroline. It's a really busy week. It's a cup week for them. Double double time. Uh, League Cup quarterfinal on Wednesday against Manchester City. Uh, that is Ooh. at home. Also at home on Saturday is the FA Cup round of sixteen match against Charlton Athletic. So two chances to move on. Obviously, the city of it all is going to be quite difficult mm. in the League Cup. Uh, we've, we have not seen any success against that team in recent matches. Uh, Charlton should be a, an easier game, you would hope. But um, rotation still, on, still strong. on hand. Still yeah. strong, but rota- rotation and you know the, the depth of the squad will be tested in these, in these multiple match weeks. So we'll see what comes of well, it. Kaz, I want to ask if you could only get if you could only move on in one cup, which one would it be this week? I'm glad you asked because I do think it's it's a good question. For me, I feel like we can play our strongest lineup in the city game and still get a result out of the Charlton game. Uh, is, is basically my answer. I don't think we necessarily <laughs> have to sacrifice one for the other. Like we want to give ourselves the best chance of getting a surprise result against City, even though we know, based on the past two results, it's not pill climb. It's not likely, right? They, I mean, their squad is just ridiculously stacked. Um, but I do think the expectation should be that we we do advance in the FA Cup, no matter who we're putting out on the pitch. Um, and also, we have a couple of players on loan at Charlton, so that at least weakens them a little. They can't play those players, uh, so that's good. But yeah, it's it's looking like the FA Cup is going to have to be the the one that we go all in on, um, in terms of you know realistic hopes. I actually feel like I would rather just beat City. That's where I'm at. I, I would rather see them knock out City if 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 that meant sacrificing the Charlton game. Like I, I think that would be such a. It wouldn't quite be beating Arsenal for the first time like we saw happen earlier in the season, but it would be pretty close to that. Um, and I think that would be pretty damn cool. But to your point, probably a better chance against Charlton on Saturday. 
Um, and we'll, you know, we'll see what comes of it. So a lot of, it's going to be interesting. Of... Sorry. I'm just going to say, it's going to be really interesting to see if Robert adjusts his tactics against city. Um, I think, I think it's super commendable to, for on either side of, of the club, right. Men's or women's to say, we're going to play our style of stuffing the football down your throat, regardless of how talented you are. But I think if you play like a four, four, two against city, with with uh, with with Martha and Beth up top, perhaps um, even a Jess Naz as one of those midfielders, right? The right or the left midfielder, which would be a little bit strange. But I think there's a lot that you can do if you play a four four two against City to to just mix it up and shake it up. And why not go shock the world? So um, I don't know. I I maybe I'm I don't know. I'm calling on Robert to 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 pull out you know the rabbit out of his hat or his plan B or his trick pony, whatever you want to call it, right? And and go go after City. Dude, if you run all three of them in a four-four-two, you're gonna ship four goals against City. That's wild. We'll score five, dude. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think that is kind of Robert's philosophy, so he he very well might do that. Although, to be fair, in the second league game against them, we were a little bit more pragmatic, and I think we did try to make sure we lessened the damage because that first game really hurt our goal difference, and it is sort of making a difference right now with us being, you know, tied with Liverpool on points. Um, but this is a cup game, so maybe you go do go all it. out, you know? Yeah. Hey, to, to dare to, to dare is to do is not just a saying, it's a lifestyle, okay? That's 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 Amen. the way we need to live our live. Uh we're we're gonna call it a, a show there. This has been a lengthy one, so props to our listeners for for bearing with us. Uh we had a lot to cover. What can we say? Transfer windows, men's and women's games, uh just a lot going on in the world of Tottenham Hotspur. So um we'll be back with you next weekend. Uh you can follow Todd at TC underscore Kasho. You can follow Caroline at CG Stefko. Follow Scott at Scott G Bird. Follow myself at A Stetka. Follow us at Tottenham Depot on your Twitter, your Instagram, your TikTok, your threads. Be sure to follow us on YouTube as well. We're going to start posting some content there. Uh, I know I've been teasing that for a while. We are going to try and get some of that going, perhaps um, perhaps some live shows in, in, in the offing in the, in the near future. So be sure to bump those YouTube subscription numbers up as well. Uh, that is at Tottenham Depot as well. And leave us a rating. Do you like review it when you tease your... it? Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice as well. That helps to spread the word on what we're doing here at the Depot. Uh, until next week, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on, you Spurs.